you doing, everybody out there in the internet wrestling community land and on all streaming social media platforms, including Facebook. How y'all doing? It is me. It is me. It is the big old Stevie C kicking it downstairs back again. Check it and wreck it. And let's begin. Let me adjust the camera. I should probably done that beforehand. But you know what? Like I say, we're live, pal. Let me do this. Yeah, that's the stuff. Well, anyway, how you doing, everybody? This is me looking as only I can look, repping the O-H-I-O. Ignore the one on the H right here. Just, you know, just don't think about that anymore. We're going to have a brand new name and a brand new logo. So, you know, it's all good, baby. And we're doing it. It's the Heel and Face podcast here on Heel Turn Wrestling. Hey, uh, fun show today. We're going to keep it light and keep it bright and keep it happy. And we are going to talk about double or nothing yes i'm on slow on the uptake i get it i've been a week behind but if you've been paying attention to the show uh the boys at heel turn wrestling let me come on wednesday and rant about the releases and give my takes on what's going on in the world of uh wwe and professional wrestling and how it's going to be shaken to its very foundation probably within the next three to five years so there's that uh so you can go back and definitely archive and dig through last week's episode of course if you would have liked and subscribed and hit the notification button on the Heel and Face page or Heel Turn Wrestling page, you would have known that I went live anyway. But it's cool because wherever you consume the podcast, thank you for tuning into it. So I'm all done. I'm all done. I feel better. I, uh, I, I took a minute to collect my thoughts. I am feeling all right. I appreciate it. You can go anywhere and find my little rant and all my three takes. You can go to the Facebook page. You're already here at the Facebook page. That's cool. Uh, you can also join me on Minds and Locals. And you can join me on Twitter. You can see the uh, tweet uh, Twitter handle below. Uh, I had a poll on there about possible uh, booking, uh, fantasy booking that might come from this WWE New Japan relationship that everyone's rumored uh, to be uh, going on. And uh, since most of you out there agree with me, I can't show you the poll results because uh, Twitter cached it. I'm sure I'd be able to find it if I looked hard enough, but I didn't try. I'm not going to lie to you. But I will say that the uh, leader, of course, everybody agrees with me that if there was a fantasy booking between the two federations, between the two promotions, then the only match anyone wants to see would be uh, RKO versus the Rainmaker. And I'm not going to lie, that would probably be the dopest. That was my pick anyway. That's just, just if this does come true, if this does come into fruition and the situation uh, does lend itself to uh, fantasy booking and possibly even cross-promoting on each other's shows, uh, I really hope that I, uh, Wrestle Kingdom will have the co-main event. This is like a main attraction match between Okada and Randy Orton, and then hopefully we'll be able to reciprocate that very uh, shortly after at uh, WrestleMania. So that would be how I would run it. Of course, I'm just a guy in my basement talking to you about professional wrestling. So let's talk about it then, shall we? Let's just go right into it. We've got some silliness to talk about at the end of the show, and I will save it for that. But again, you can check me out on all my social media outlets. I just mentioned a lot of them. You can... Uh, talk to me on the, I need to fix that a little bit, but you need, you can also uh, get at me on all my uh, uh, streaming social media platforms as well as my 
accounts that are on your favorite audio podcast streaming services. So check me out there as well. I try to post the audio version of this show almost immediately after I do the live version of the show. So wherever you want to check me out, please check me out there as well. And what was I going to do? I lost it. Oh, I know what I was going to do. Uh, the only other important thing we do before we start every show is that you can like my page on Facebook. You can like the heel turn wrestling page and you should do that. But the best way to rep this brand, the fastest growing fan oriented fan driven professional wrestling news and information and rumor and dank meme site on Facebook is that you can also support us by going to pro wrestling That's right. We have our own store at pro wrestling All you need to do is just go there and make your escape. Come on, just go there and you can find us. All you have to do is just search heel turn wrestling, or you can just do the whole URL of uh, www.prowrestlingtees.com backslash heel turn wrestling, all one word. And just look, just look at the beautiful shirts that are on display. Of course, you can get the ringleader of this circus of madness, Billy Alexander and the franchise takes five podcast. You can rep him as well. You can rep alcoholic Adam, the blogger and meme God extraordinaire of heel turn wrestling. You can of course rep the company logo right there. The beautiful heel turn wrestling, clean, simple black look. But of course, you can and you should buy the flex, the floss, the drip, the biggest, hottest t-shirt on Heel Turn Wrestling's page. Wabam. The Heel and Face podcast. Look at that. It's a thing of beauty. It shines. It's crispy when it comes out of the box. Don't lie. It's true. So you can check us out there. That's ProWrestlingTees.com backslash Heel Turn Wrestling. Okay, so... I'm just going to go ahead and get right into it because I'm going to break up the format a little bit. I'm going to review Double or Nothing, what my thoughts were of Double or Nothing. I know. I told you guys. I swore off AEW. I pretty much swore off AEW. And there were lots of good reasons for me to do it, and they just continue to be proven true as to why. And yet, I was intrigued by the lineup of Double or Nothing, mostly from what I had heard through wrestling Twitter and wrestling community and the wrestling dirt sheets and the wrestling heel turn wrestling and all of us here had been discussing. So I, I, I managed to find a way to be able to watch AEW double or nothing after the fact. And then I'm just going to go with that and leave that there hanging out there for everyone to see. So what are my thoughts of, uh, AEW double or nothing. Well, I'm going to um, just say like off the top of my head, I enjoyed it a lot more than I expected to. Um, and that didn't make it a great pay-per-view, but at least uh, it was watchable. And there were some, there were some really good, um, uh, parts to it. I mean, I, I didn't hate the entire thing. Uh, sorry, you guys. I'm just uh, readjusting some things on the fly here. Give me a minute. Aha, here we are. Okay, so double or nothing. Recap and analysis. By the way, I am using photos from 
All Elite Wrestling's Instagram page. You can follow them there at AllEliteWrestling.com. And then, oh, I just stooged off my second uh, news article, or my first news article, rather. So follow along with the visuals if you want to. So AEW Double or Nothing. Um, let's get with the first match then, shall we? So let's talk the uh, pre-show was the NWA Women's World Championship. And let me first off just say that this is bittersweet because it's kind of nice that NWA is getting exposure on a national level and it's almost like free publicity for them. They really don't have to do a whole lot to be able to feature one of their belts. But it's also bittersweet to me because NWA does have a great platform. Uh, they just had their pay-per-view. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I think the pay-per-view is tonight. It's one of the two. It was the last night or tonight. I can't remember which came on me because I was listening to the interview on uh, on Busted Open with uh, Billy Corgan. So I, I should know, but uh, whatever. I don't want to get sidetracked. NWA is at a good spot. I think people respect it and people are going to find it and people are going to be fans or fans, especially me. I'm going to find it and I'm going to consume it wherever I can. And I'm not saying I'm moving it up a chain or down a chain or whatever. I'm just saying that uh, NWA has nothing to be ashamed of. And I like the fact that they're at least getting noticed. I don't know how much longer they want to be making partnerships. I think they want to, I, I would just, okay, now you got our attention. Now you let the wrestling world know that you're alive. You should focus on putting your product together, which is, I think, what they did with, uh, I think their interview is called When Our Shadows Fall. So if that's not dope enough to get you into the door, so to speak, then I don't know what is. But let's go ahead and talk about uh, Serena Deeb defeating Riho in the buy-in. Serena Deeb can wrestle the broomstick and still have a fantastic match. And one step barely above a broomstick is Riho. There is nothing that is interesting or exciting or makes me want to watch her matches. They're flat. They're kind of hooky. Her drop kicks look like garbage. I have no idea other than wrestling uh, Kenny Omega when she was nine years old, which is probably answering my own question there. I noticed any redeeming qualities about Riho. And I'm sad that she peaked at nine. Be that as it may, uh, you know, Serena Deeb is just such a good wrestler. There was a reason why WWE wanted her to be a trainer, and we're not going to bring her back full-time. I think she just had it in her that she knew so much about who she was as a performer, as a wrestler, that she cared enough not to just be seen as a trainer and basically get the uh, treatment that many of the veterans to be getting right now in WWE. So she probably saw the writing on the wall, smart, good for her. And she's now parlaying that into success as the NWA women's champion. So many of her holds and stretches just look painful. We knew she was a submission specialist even before she like discovered yoga and all that stuff, which by the way, the, I don't know who it was. I don't remember. I, it might've been Excalibur. It might've been Tony Schiavone constantly putting up, uh, putting over yoga as a way that Serena learned how to manipulate the body and do stretches. Now, I get the stretching part, but I've never once seen a Maharashi Shogi or anybody like that ever put someone in a Kimura. So why are you putting over the most peaceful, harmonic exercise a human being has ever developed 
as a lethal weapon to defeat your enemy in a professional wrestling match. It just sounded so dumb to me. I mean, maybe there's a version of yoga that actually is more like the martial art. Maybe there's some truth to that. I don't know. I don't know enough of the history. It would not surprise me that yoga is a somehow byproduct of either uh, ancient Indian civilization, martial arts, or a way that warriors prepared their bodies to go into battle. It wouldn't surprise me at all. That being said, again, we're putting over yoga as a form of martial arts. That's news to me. I mean, it just sounded like the the, the, the announcer trying to be too smart, and it came off badly. Like, no one in this country thinks of yoga as a deadly exercise other than actually trying to stretch in a hot yoga session. But that's another topic for another podcast. Serena just kept going and going. Uh, I, I kind of think she's better at a heel. I know it's cheap and easy to say that as a wrestling fan, as a, as a wrestler. A lot of wrestlers have said they prefer being heels because it's easier to be a jerk than it is to be nice. Yeah, I get that dynamic. That's understandable. But she was just toying with Rio most of the night. Rio got in some offense. Um, I don't know. It's just, again, nothing about Rio interests me at all. And Rio said, I think she said something that she's going to try to use a lot of this time, not just to be in AEW, but to wrestle in other uh, American territories and whatnot. Um, I don't care. Like, I don't care if she does, and I don't care if she doesn't. So, who knows? All I know is Rio's terrible, and yet... Uh, Serena D was able to get a really decent match out of her. So good on her. Uh, you're a champ and still Serena D. Love her and love what she's doing right now. Uh, next match was uh, Hangman Adam Page uh, beating Frank Cage. Again, the commentary on this match was so distracting that I could not really follow the match because every time something cool would happen or something, something uh, was pivotal in the match, Taz would say something crazy, and, and I get it. I know without proper context, I would not have known that they're trying to get Brian Cage out of Team Taz and help him become a uh, superstar on his own, like a singles competitor. Look, the idea of Brian Cage being a singles guy, that train left the station along with God rest old Brody Lee, Lance Archer, and Miro. Every top big man that AEW has brought in, they just completely crapped on and mishandled and misbooked. And Brian Cage is no different. Brian Cage should have basically walked up to John Moxley or Kenny Omega, punched him in the face, and said, I'm going to take that belt from you. And it never happened. So now Brian Cage, and I guess the knock on Brian Cage is he can't talk. Okay, great. He can't talk. We know. He's not the first pro wrestler to not be great on the mic. Uh, but still, came in, lost his steam immediately, and to Team Taz and basically... Team Taz was just Taz, who got himself over, because he always does. Then Ricky Starks came into the fold, and then Ricky Starks is good enough on the mic. He got himself over, and it just kind of seems like they're moving away from Team Taz. And now that Taz's son is wrestling randomly, uh, Brian Cage is no longer the focus of Team Taz. And it showed. Now, despite that, they still were able to pull out a pretty decent match uh, between each other. And... Again, speaking of misbooking and mismanaging AEW, the guy who should have been the inaugural AEW heavyweight champion, Hangman Page, is still recovering from his stupid... First of all, he's a drunk cowboy, but then cowboy stuff uh, came out. I'm not going to say the word because I'm trying to keep my podcast as PG as possible. And now he's getting chanted all over he goes, cowboy stuff, cowboy stuff. And that's cool because he needs that. And it's organic. And that's what they want. 
But then he got dragged down with the rest of uh, the Dark Order, which should be disbanded. They should just tell those guys, look, we messed up. We're not going to ruin your careers any further. We're going to break this thing up. And we're going to let you guys spin off and kind of take your own personalities and do your own thing. And Reynolds and Silver will put you in the tag team uh, situation. Everybody else can be on Dark because that's where everybody else is. They're either on Dark or they're on, uh, what's it, Reaction or, re or Elevation or whatever it's called. I don't know. Anyway, the point is Hangman Page should have been the AEW champ and I would die on that mountain. But, of course, they put together a really good match because they're two pretty decent wrestlers. Uh, Brian Cage was doing a lot more of his flippy stuff. Of course, when he does that, that means that he is definitely going back to being a babyface. Um, you know, and I kept thinking he is like perfect for the WWE because that's what Vince likes, the big dudes that can move around the ring. So I don't know. I don't think he'll probably ever want to even sign with WWE given the current uh, climate of the company. But, you know, who knows in three to five years where it'll be. A lot of, um, uh, I, again, a lot of great action. They, the, another thing, though, that I do have a criticism of is they were both trying to put each other's moves on each other. Uh, that's that. I could take or leave that. I'm not a huge fan of, oh, I'm going to do your move and you do my move. It's only, that's not, those are spots that you should only save for, like, bitter rivalry feuds or longer programs. We all know that Brian Cage lost so he can start getting that baby face run when he finally tells uh, Team Taz to go jump in a lake. Uh, and to that point, it was weird that Taz was, you know, on the mic saying, what is he trying to do? Blah, 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 blah. He would say something, but then he would, he would say something complimentary to Paige or how the match is going, but then he'd walk it back and try to say something positive about Brian Cage. So it sounded like Taz was commentating on the match and not being the heel manager who was just there to put Brian Cage over. There's a way to do it without, you know, making the match sound awesome, not being lost in commentary booth. If Taz would have said things like, I don't care, or it doesn't matter to me, or it doesn't matter to Brian Cage, you know, not all athletes are perfect, but he's going to get through this because he's a machine, blah, blah, then okay, that would have been fine. That would have been Taz doing heel stuff. But it seems like all he was doing was commentary on the match, and that wasn't necessary. Uh, Brian Cage was even attempting, uh, well, that's the thing, because Cage was coming in from side and up, hit uh, the buckshot lariat, off of the top rope, and he pretty much did it. He did slip a little bit. I'm not gonna call it a bosh. I'm not gonna call a 270-pound man, full of six foot five, full of muscles, who could do a front flip and land on his feet a bosh if he slips. Um, maybe he slipped on purpose. Who knows? But uh, Page was able to put uh, uh, Cage in the uh, I don't know what they, they don't call it the F5. Maybe they call it the 5F. Who knows what they call it? But it's the spinning TKO. Let's put it that way. And then on top of that. Uh, Page was able to hit the buckshot lariat on cage one, two, three. Uh, thought it was funny. Uh, obviously, they weren't going to go for the drill claw, but that would have been pretty hilarious if we did. And uh, Hangman Page is keeping himself kind of on the periphery of being a main event guy. It's unfortunate that everyone else in the company's completely hijacked the storylines, or else uh, Page would be up next. Next, speaking of next, uh, the tag team championship between the Bucks and Moxley and Kingston. And I remember even watching the entrance, not really caring, uh, back my mind again, thinking, you know, Eddie Kingston could have been the guy to introduce Bad Bunny to WrestleMania, but that's an alternate universe on another planet, and I don't have any Infinity Stones to make it a reality right now. Um, yeah, Brandon Cutler got involved. Uh, now he's like a self-help guru, coach, or whatever of the Young Bucks because uh, they don't have anything for him to do. 
and he has to be a heel now that they're heels. And he went from random brand of color to the game master to the dragon, and now he's back to being a uh, ringside attendant slash coach. Uh, and they, he and Moxley, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Kingston and Moxley, put Brandon Color in the worst. What do they call their finishing move? Violence is forever. I don't know what they call it. Uh, it was the worst version of that move. And that move isn't that great anyway. Uh, and you know, see you later. Thanks for coming. Here's your paycheck, Brandon Cutler. Uh, I wish I had famous friends that I could be a part of too. I don't know. Anyway. Not not a fantastic match. Not a match you write home with. A lot of stupidity. Uh, of course, you know, Young Bucks match, right? Uh, a lot of false finishes. A lot of, I want to put them up. You know, a lot of, as if they're trying to prove to themselves that they're heels. Heel work. As opposed to naturally just being a jerk. Um, but what they did was they got Moxley isolated and then they ended the match with a, uh, basically, a, he can't continue spot. Meanwhile... And I'm not the only one that pointed this out. Rick Knox is standing around as if he's waiting for someone to tell him to do. He's the referee. He needs to get in there and he needs to ask John Moxley if he's done. He's just going to sit there and let the young bucks. And maybe this is more uh, continuity. Maybe this is deeper storytelling than I am aware of. Maybe because of the relationship that Rick Knox has with the young bucks that, oh, that's a storyline. Oh, Rick Knox is a goose with the young bucks too. That's why he let it go. If they were intelligent enough to be able to tell that story, then uh, that would be something. But I don't think they are, and they didn't. So who knows? The only thing I know is, is that the match ended with um, a referee stoppage, finally, that they went after uh, because uh, they kept giving in the uh, BTE knees to the head, and Moxley basically could not defend himself. So that's how they won that match. Yay! Uh, the time when Moxley needed Eddie Kingston to cover him, uh, before uh, something bad happened to him and he was out of the ring. Now, bring kayfabe, we all know that the reason why Moxley lost is because he's been spending time with his lovely wife, Renee, and they're soon to be child. I believe she's going to have the baby very soon. So on the real-life side, congratulations, John, your daughter being born. Uh, hope things go super well, and, you know, thumbs up, man, and take that time off. Take all the time off you need. You kind of deserve it. Please don't take FMLA time away from AEW just to – uh, get into a parking lot, like to fight with Nick Cage two days before your baby's born. Just enjoy being having time off. You're not at this time again. You're not going to get another birth of an. I mean, you might have another kid. Who knows? You're not going to get another birth of your first child ever again. So take that time off, brother. Now to a match. And by the way, I, I don't want to say that the Hangman Page and Cage match was that bad. I'm just saying it wasn't great. So it could have been a lot better. But it was actually pretty good, and there was another pretty good match until the next one. Um, when you stripped it down and got all the goofs out of there, like the Dark Order, and it, uh, you whittled everybody down to the each deck and all that stuff, the Casino Battle Royale actually wasn't that bad because Jungle Boy won, yay! And now we're finally getting to what AEW was supposed to be about a year and a half, two years ago, which is making stars and getting guys that deserve to be elevated elevated and this is the way they finally did it for jungle boy so congratulations uh jungle boy winning by the way beating christian cage in the final um nice touch for christian cage to put jungle boy over uh i mean i don't know if he had any say in it probably didn't uh, he's just another one of the former wwe guys that's getting a big paycheck from tony khan so i don't know if they really care now that the match itself was good it was as far as those two together a lot of great false finishes and a lot of excitement and christian cage knows what he's doing uh in order to uh, get get the kid over it was fun so good for him yay jungle boy and now jungle boy has a shot at the aew champion at uh i believe the next pay-per-view so good 
at least they're trying to um, finally start uh, infusing newer talent into uh, the AEW ranks, which is what they promised to do when they first started. Um, now we're going over a way to put your guy over to a confusing cluster mess that I thought Cody Rhodes would know better, and apparently he does not. This match, I felt so terrible for, especially with the finish. Um, the next match was Cody Rhodes beating Anthony Agogo, and and really, in a match that should have never uh, happened the way it did. Let's be honest. You know, no one was asking for uh, Anthony Agogo to lose the way he did. No one was asking for Anthony Agogo to be a heel like this. By the way, like how stupid is this? Um, to Again, as I walked back two weeks ago, so here you have a half-Nigerian-British guy healing on an all-American boy, Cody Rhodes, by acting like an 80s foreign heel. But now, of course, it uh, it, it really got bad. Um, this started off quick, of course. Cody jumps Anthony Ogogo before the bell. Um Ogogo just started willing on him, and, and they're putting over his boxing background with the Kroko Bolo punches and all that stuff. Um, I mean, is that what it's called? I always called it a uh, a gut shot or a uh, undercut or a low uppercut, whatever you call it, to the stomach. But what do I know? I'm just a guy talking wrestling in my basement. I don't know too much about boxing, but that's kind of how it started. Um, and then the coaches got involved. QT Marshall cheap shotted Cody Rhodes and then Arn grabbed a steel chair and chased QT off. Um, somehow I can't remember, but Indiegogo got busted open before the, the match even started and Cody went after it. Um, so they were selling the arm a little bit of Cody's. But in the end, there was a bunch of false finishes, and uh, a go-go sem up for the governor's hammer, which I didn't even know that was the name of his uh, his move. Then uh, Cody countered with a breaker. <sighs> a match that was what ten minutes or so went ten minutes too long. Should never have gone. What are you gonna say? The, the whole the whole thing was executed poorly. It was conceived poorly, and it ended poorly. Like Cody Rhodes is the conquering hero of America because he beat a British guy that we're not even really mad at British people. So I don't know what to, I don't know what to tell you. Um, now I've got a little better with the TNT title match. And I want to frame it by saying that this is something that should have already happened about two months ago or so. So they've been weaning Miro off of his relationship with Kip and Penelope from what I gather. They weren't at ringside. They weren't around. And now we've got serious Miro, butt kicker Miro, saying weird things and, and finally saying some of the things that he should have said, frankly, months ago when he was debuting on AEW. But, of course, they wanted to put him in some stupid gimmick or whatever. Um, but now he's the champ. He's a super badass. He was wrestling as a heel, by the way. It looked like it because uh, Lance Archer was kind of coming off as a baby face. And, again, another match that was um, uh, started hot, uh, Archer – had a flying dive over the top rope onto Miro. 
onto the uh, rampway and they just started going at it there. A um, lot of stiff stuff, a lot of hard hitting. Uh, these guys were just uh, just tagging each other for real. Um, I don't know, not mean for real, but they looked at, made it look real good. Um, two believable hosses fighting, very athletic. Now, the pacing of the match was stupid, especially in the beginning uh, when Lance Archer did the uh, Undertaker old school rope walk to come down and uh, smack Miro with it. Like, I'm okay with that match. The Undertaker got over with that move for 20 years. But it wasn't like the first spot. Like, it wasn't the first thing that he did. Even The Undertaker had to wear down his opponent, unless it was a uh, talent enhancer for the stars or someone like that, uh, like a Paul Dale or somebody like a Paul Van Dale, God bless him, wherever he is, uh, or somebody like that, where you knew that it was going to be like a five-minute squash to get people interested in the match. Like, this was the first thing they did. Like, Miro wasn't even that worn out to take the blast. So why do it? It just doesn't make any sense. You just basically look like you just want to get your stuff in and you don't want to really like have the psychology or the pacing of the match. Now, if he would have done the rope walk maybe five, ten minutes in with Miro who's busted down, with Miro sucking wind, with Miro dazed or whatever, then I'd have been all for it. But in the beginning, it just looked silly. Um, uh, then uh, Archer got Miro through the table with a spine buster. And then uh, Miro lost uh, Archer in the front row. That was kind of fun. Um, Archer put Miro in the Helio coaster. Helicoaster. Never seen that move before, so I assume I probably have it just didn't know it was uh, labeled the helicoaster. Uh, and Archer even tried a moonsault. So again, not only was Lance Archer working as a babyface, but he was working like a lucha babyface trying to do the high spots to take Miro out, which again, probably not that necessary, but there we are. So it looked like Archer made a huge comeback, showed a lot of fire, huge comeback. Uh, but Miro cheated by crotching him with the bottom rope, and then he did the game over, stomped on him, and put him in the uh, game over camel clutch for the win. So Miro retains, and that wasn't actually that bad of a match. Again, huge pacing issues, huge problems with when to do stuff and, and when not to do stuff. Um, I don't know if they just told him, look, get everything in, get as much as you can in, and, and, make, and get, keep the crowd hot, which is kind of what they did. So uh, good for them. That match wasn't that bad. Uh, another match that, again, wasn't bad either, but I'm not really sold again on this wrestler. Uh, so it was the AEW Women's match, and this was the one to kind of unify or whatever, that they're going to reintroduce the women's belt. And um, it was a champion, uh, Sheeta versus Britt Baker. I think the bloom is off the rose for Sheeta for me either. I mean, she wasn't even that good to begin with. And she was getting better for a while, but I think she just kind of put in my opinion. I wasn't really interested uh, in Sheeta. Uh, Sheeta went, uh, well, the match again started hot. Another third hot, hot start or fourth hot start for a match on a pay-per-view and tried to hook uh, Sheeta in the lockjaw, but she got out of it. Um, crowd was 50-50. And Brett Baker, or Britt Baker, sorry, is becoming like a female version of Stone Cold Steve Austin. Like, People are going to cheer her no matter what. So I think they're going to roll with it. Even like, I didn't watch Dynamite, but I heard that she was trying so hard to stay heel. But there's something to do with Big Macs, and I missed it all. I couldn't really catch it. But for the crowd to be so divided and to be cheering Britt Baker, she's going to get cheered everywhere she goes. She's going to be almost, like I said, the Stone Cold Steve Austin for female wrestlers if she doesn't watch out. And that's no slight to the other female wrestler in WWE, uh, the um, – the baddest mom on the planet, uh, Becky Lynch. That's no slight to her because she kind of fashions herself as the 
heir apparent female version of Stone Cold Steve Austin, but uh, Britt Baker's just got the crowd so hooked in, and it's hard not to. She's gotten way, way better. She's improved her game so much, and her uh, just her wrestling has, is, is a lot better. So, um, Oshido caught Rebel, not Reba, and Baker with a crossbody. Uh, they, they kept going at it. Uh, Baker uh, got Shida with a curve stomp, was going to do a second lockjaw. But uh, Sheeta rolled out of the way again. Um, you know, again, a curb stomp used to be a finisher. And now it's like, I don't know. It's the same thing as a DDD. Same thing as a super kick. Don't want to get off on that tangent. Um, good wrestling throughout. Not great. Sheeta is kind of the same vein of Riho. Her stuff doesn't look all that great, but she's really hard in worker. And she's athletic. Um, and there was a high spot in the quarter when... Sheeta was going for a Death Valley driver off the top rope. Britt escaped, but it ended up becoming uh, a suplex, so she was able to recover. Uh, Sheeta was able to recover from that. Sheeta then put Britt in the stretch muffler. Reba, with a distraction, came up, but as she was trying to hit Sheeta with a crutch, she whacked uh, Baker with it instead. Uh, then she, we thought it was over. Sheeta put it, Baker in a Falcon Arrow. Um, Baker kicked out. She super kicked Sheeta with the belt and then tried to curb stomp. But Sheeta kicked out of that again. Again, two curb stomps in one match and Sheeta kicks out. I don't know. But she wore her out and Baker applied the lockjaw to Sheeta, who was so exhausted at that point, she finally tapped. So, I mean, the result was and new, so clap it up for Britt Baker. And that's the only applause she's going to get from a Clevelander, uh, seeing as though she's a huge Pittsburgh fan. She's from Pittsburgh. But uh that's all uh, that the result of that was really what we needed and although the match wasn't technically great uh it did everything it had to do uh it gave brit the belt so that worked it made sheeta kind of look strong i guess if you really want to go there and say that taking multiple curb stomps and multiple attempts of lock jaws and whatnot for sheeta to finally give it up and it was, it was fine it was a fine match i didn't really have too many problems with it uh they kind of left a lot of the comedy out of it. I know there's been comedy before, especially with uh, Rebel interfering. But uh, whacking Britt Baker. And, you know, kudos for Britt Baker to, like, have the resilience to keep coming back, too. We know she's tough as nails with that match, the uh, the famous match she had earlier this year with Thunder Rosa. Uh, so good for, good for her. And I'm not saying that they should have given Britt Baker the belt, but or, or when AEW started, but at least this is the payoff. I think of two years of working with this with this uh, woman, working her, working with her, letting her come into her own, letting her build her thing, letting her re- get really good in the ring, and then now she deserves it. So hopefully she has a pretty long run uh, with the belt. We shall see. Next we got uh, Darby Allen and Sting versus uh, Ethan Page and Scorpio Sky. Again, better match than I expected, um, and I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't expecting a lot from Sting and I was pleasantly surprised that he was able to deliver, which again is another middle finger to Vince's face because if Vince had Sting, yes, Sting was injured. Yes, Sting, it ain't ballet and I'm not going to crucify Seth Rollins for an accident. Uh, You'll notice they don't do many buckle bombs anymore. But we had some doubts. I know I had some doubts. You know, with, with Sting laying... Uh, on the uh, rampway after that powerbomb from Brain Cage and all the other things that were going on with Sting. And there was a lot of questions to how he could go. Man, at 61, he still was really, I'm not saying, okay, I'm not saying like 
Prime Sting. I'm not even saying like TNA Sting, but what's the Toby uh, Keith song? I ain't as good as I once was, but I'm as good as I am for now and forever. I don't know what it is. I don't listen to country. All I know is the point of that quote was Sting at 61, still better than probably one third of the roster of AEW right now. And he still looks active. He still looks quick. He still looks like he knows what he's doing. It is such a shame. It's a crime against humanity that Sting and The Undertaker couldn't have even had like a non-cinematic match. I think they would have they had, regardless of if it was cinematic or not, they could have had a really nice match, real fantasy match at WrestleMania. But for whatever reason, it was Nick's. I know there was a rumor at some point that even The Undertaker was the guy that Nick's did, but uh, I don't know if... Vince McMahon thinks that he's he, can, he knows how to make money, and yet some of the moves that are like, literally that are staring him in the face he doesn't take, probably because he didn't come up with the idea. But I digress. I want to get back to how good Sting was, flying around the ring, like like launching Darby Allen. Well, speaking of launching Darby Allen, uh, you knew it was coming, but of course Darby Allen gets beaded into the front row, and he lands on his brother, which if you're going to have a plan, have your brother in there as a plan. Because if not, you're just basically endangering the company by launching wrestlers at fans. I mean... In the 90s, in ECW, nobody cared. So they, they wanted uh, the Dudleys to launch a uh, spike into the crowd so you could crowd surf because that was the 90s. We are in a way more litigious society than we were 20 years ago. Um, and I'm, I'm almost got to say 30 years ago, and then I'm going to feel old and take my uh, Jared Allen iron pills and go night-nights. So Darby Allen gets yeeted into the front row quite hilariously, and he's something for a while. And thankfully, his brother was smart enough to sell it too because the last thing you want is your brother popping right back up while you're uh, trying to uh, portray the fact that you're actually dead, uh, and, and, and but your brother is up trying to get you through and get you up. So finally, at least Darby's brother and Darby's brother's friend, whoever was sitting next to him, sold it long enough for Darby Allen to be the one to get up first. And then Sting comes over. He kinda, it was weird. He kind of like pulls Darby over, but helps him over at the same time too. Um, and uh, they did some of the Sting is conflicted because his mentor, Darby Allen, he doesn't know whether to throw him in or the 10 count or not. Um, why not just, like, throw Darby Allen's arm underneath and then break the count and then come back out and check on him? I don't know. Maybe that's not how it was supposed to go or the spot or whatever it's supposed to be. Uh, that's fine because uh, Darby Allen then recovered and jumped into the ninth. So, I don't know. Either way, I would have seen it better if Sting would have just, like, made Darby Allen touch the underneath of the rope and then come back out for another 10. But it also kind of set it up to where, well, I don't need Sting. I can do this myself. I've been doing this myself for a while. Not he's slight or a flaunt or anything more of like sting has got my back i can do this too this is my fight so i mean either way that works for me um i don't want to nitpick too much on an outside in spot um sting took a suplex onto the ramp by scorpio guy and it looked like it hurted it looked like it hurted a lot but he popped right up because he's saying <laughs> that's right so we're gonna we are gonna throw back a little bit to 1986 and we're gonna pop right up from the pot driver and shake it off and ah, he didn't really do that but he did troll the undertaker a little bit because if you've seen the memes already uh scorpio sky standing on top of the double or nothing chip stack and then of course he does the oh my gosh the heat massive the baby face is behind me what am i gonna do and that was funny that was entertaining. And then it got better because then Sting decided, well, now I got both of those chuckleheads thrown off of here. And I'm going to launch myself, which is what he did. And he came off with a almost perfect line shoulder tackle. Again, we're talking about a 61-year-old Sting. So good for him. That was fun. I really enjoyed that. Meanwhile, back in the ring, uh, there was some good stuff, good double teams. Sting was uh, whipping Darby Allen into uh, the opponents, uh, going coast to coast. Uh, that was hilarious. I thought maybe they would have reversed it and then Darby would have needed Sting, but it didn't happen. Um, 
Ethan Page got in, uh, got involved, saved Scorpio, uh, swept Darby Allen's legs. Uh, then they double teamed Darby Allen for a while. Okay, heel stuff. Yeah, we get it. Um, Darby somehow found the strength and came back and hit uh, uh, Ethan Page with the over the shoulder stunner. Then got back for the hot tag with Sting. Sting came in. The crowd erupted with "You still got a chance." Uh, as a matter of fact, we're going to give it up for Sting again because he put uh, Scorpio Sky in a sunset flip bomb from the second rope. That's right, you heard me. Um, some people call it the, Yoda, the Code Red. Either if you don't call it Code Red or the Sunset Flip Bomb, I don't care, but it was still awesome. Again, we're talking about a 61-year-old man who's like six foot three and 245 pounds, and he put him in a, in a Code Red from the corner. That was awesome. Um, Ethan Page... Uh, tried to put Darby Allen uh, in the ego edge, which is the razor's edge. You could call it the ego trip or the ego drive. Why can't you call it the e ego driver or something like that? I don't care. Uh, then uh, Sting puts Scorpion Deathlock on uh, on uh, Page, but then Scorpio Sky got a version of the Indian Deathlock or whatever on Darby Allen, and then, so you see Page and Allen face-to-face, -face, and they just start slapping each other, punching each other, and they were choking each other and gouging each other's eyes out. I mean, it was okay. It was a little goofy, but it was okay. Um, so, uh, the big finish was Sting and Sky. Uh, Sky was going to try the cutter, but Sting, um, like, flipped it, turned it around, and bam, Scorpion death drop. And Darby Allen and Sting won. So that was actually a good match considering I was not really caring about it. And I had lowered expectations because how much could Sting do in the ring? Then there was, let's see, I think, am I missing? I'm checking my notes while I'm uh, doing this. I think I got all the matches. I think I got them all. That's right. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I got them all because this goes to the excitement, from the excitement of seeing Sting to the disappointment of the co-main event, which was for the AEW World Championship, uh, Kenny Omega versus Orange Cassidy versus the Bastard Pac. No countdowns, no squabbles. Again, Orange Cassidy was inserted not not just to be the comedic foil, but for a way to for Pac to say that one-on-one -on -one Kenny Omega can't beat him if you want Pac to look strong. Okay, that's fine. I'm not mad at that. But it, once again, Orange Cassidy's wrestling skills are underrated and underappreciated, to be honest with you. So uh, the uh, the match started with uh, Omega jumping Cassidy before the bell. So there you go. So then um, Pac and Omega went after it, and they did the uh, the spots where nobody could get an advantage. They did the double cross body. Um, then uh, they rolled out of the ring, and then Orange Cassidy took both guys out with the uh, double leg or Rana, which sent them both out to the ring. And then Pac uh, got hit with a uh, tope. And then mid-flight, as he was coming down, he grabbed Omega for the DDT, which is, again, the kind of – it's you know, I went to an AW match and a PWG match broke out, so I don't know. But, uh, I mean, it was fine. Pac looked dangerous. Pac looked stiff. He looked like basically the only guy out of the three who was an actual pro wrestler. And I know I really shouldn't say that, but, you know, out of all three of those guys, if you look at them individually and say, okay, in a lineup, pick out who is the champion. And everyone will pick Pac. No one will pick Omega. But here we are. Uh, Orange Cassidy hit the uh, Stun Dog Millionaire. 
on Omega, which I thought that was proprietary WWE since Mark Andrews was signed for. So who knows? I don't know. Um, Pac hits a 450 splash. Uh, Omega hits V triggers all over the place and hit another one on Orange Cassidy. Um, Orange Cassidy showed a lot of funny. It, I'll give it to Orange Cassidy. Because I actually don't have a problem with the gimmick. I'm not one of those guys that jumps on millennials for everything. Honestly, the only modern wrestler I really dislike and have a strong distaste for is uh, Joey Janela. All the other wrestlers are okay. Uh, Orange Cassidy is no different. Like, yes, he's the guy who jams his hands into his pockets. Yes, he's the guy who, um, you know, does the, the disaffected, uh, effortless kicks and all that stuff. But the way he used it throughout the match was pretty fun, including when uh, Omega tried to give him a... a, a second rope locking German suplex, whatever he calls it, you know, where it's like the German suplex, but Omega holds on with his legs and just basically pins you in the corner. Uh, Cassidy resisted it. And he, he did the whole, you know, strong man thing, but then the hands were right in his pockets. I understand where old school wrestling fans would have just turned it off right there. I understand completely because it's so stupid. And the new generation of fans dig these kind of spots. But knowing what you know about both Kenny Omega and Orange Cassidy and why Cassidy did that and how Omega was basically locked up. I mean, now again, that's just a PWG slash DDT spot, right? Where the comedy kind of takes over for just a slight second. Uh, Omega clearly is defeated by Orange Cassidy putting his hands in his pockets to, uh, you know, deflect uh, Omega's ability to suplex him. So I'm not too upset with it, but again, personal taste and... It didn't really distract from the match for me because I'm not necessarily one of those old school wrestling fans either, you know. So I like some of the modern stuff and I actually kind of like Orange Cassidy. So um, so that gave Pac enough time uh, to hit his own Avalanche German suplex on Omega. Uh, so uh, Omega then turns his attention back to Cassidy, hits a Tiger Driver 98, couldn't pin him. Uh, Pac comes in, he hits Pac with a German suplex. Omega is showing a lot of uh, strength here. This is like his biggest spots. Um, hit Orange Cassidy with the V trigger on ex with exposed knee. Uh, uh, then Pac gets uh, rid of Omega. It hits a brain buster on Orange Cassidy, but Orange Cassidy kicks out. Uh, really cool set flip powerbomb um, from Pac onto Kenny Omega. Then they get into it for a while. Um, Pop put orange in the black arrow, but Omega broke it up. Just kept going for a while. And then the fun part, I guess, so Omega gets his offense in on both guys. Then Pop gets his on offense in both guys. So guess who's left? Omega, right? And that's actually not that terrible of, of a setup for a match, but it's the baby face, the clear baby face, the clear fan favorite now gets fired up. Um, he starts orange punching Pac and Omega. Uh, Don Kyle's got nervous, so he came to the ring. Uh... Oh, he hit the beach break at some point, too. Um, the uh, Don Callis tried to interfere by pulling leg, uh, Pac's leg out to break up the pin. Uh, Orange Cassidy went for another uh, DDT, but caught him and put him in the brutalizer. And then Kenny came over and stomped on Pac. So uh, Omega healed it up. Uh, knocked out the referee. I believe it was either Rick Knox, shocking, um, or Bryce Remsburg. Again, poor Bryce, not really effective at all. The AEW, it seems like the only referee that's got stroke in AEW is Aubrey, but 
what do I know? Um, then after the ref was disqualified and, and Pac couldn't uh, hold on to the uh, brutalizer on uh, Orange Cassidy any longer, Omega brings all the belts down and then he just starts waffling everybody with the belts, including the AEW belt. Um, cheap in the belts completely, but again, what do I know? I'm just a guy. But it, I would be highly upset if I was Impact or Triple A that some goof running around who's unfortunately our world heavyweight champion right now is cracking people with our belts on national television on pay-per-view. Uh, so then we got Orange Cassidy coming back with Orange Punch. It looked like Orange Cassidy was going to win. There were some great false finishes. Uh, speaking of Aubrey Edwards, she came down to finish the match because uh, Bryce Rosenberg was knocked out. And uh, Omega was able to reverse the roll-up on Cassidy for the win. All that work, all that effort, and Orange Cassidy gets rolled up at the end. Okay. I mean, it wasn't even a surprise V-trigger out of nowhere. It wasn't a distract the ref kind of thing. It was like Cassidy got all this offense in, and then Omega rolls up uh, Cassidy for the win. Now, you can say, okay, let's be completely analytical and say, well, Omega is the crafty heel, so of course he's going to use any cheap way to get out of it. Not that a roll-up is cheap, you know, but... Uh, but, you know, however Omega wins, he's going to win. However, why would you waste all that effort in Cassidy having this huge comeback and then using all his moves and then being able to, like, pin the champ or whatever, only to lose to a roll-up after a referee comes in? I don't know. It just seems like maybe Kenny Omega could have kicked out of uh, another beach break or something like that. Or maybe Kenny Omega could have flipped it over his own. Uh, submission hold on Orange Cassidy is just something new. I don't know. All I know is, is that there was a lot of fall to roll and blow up for basically nothing. And Kim Omega retained. So I guess that was their way to elevate Orange Cassidy. So you got two young stars kind of elevated a little bit in different ways. So maybe that's good. But you got Jungle Boy and you got Cassidy who are going to be huge stars in AEW. So one got elevated the way you should, and the other kind of got elevated backhandedly, and Omega's a champ. But we all know that Omega's a champ because he's not going to stop until he wins the IWGP belt and uh, probably either Ring of Honor or NWA or something like that. So who, who knows? Um, any rate, we've got the second co-main event match, which is the one uh, match that people were looking forward to. I guess, because this was the stadium stampede. This was another match that was announced at last minute that it would be cinematic, that it would already be predetermined and all that stuff. So the fiasco of uh, the end of Blood and Guts or whatever, or, or let's put it this way, the fiasco of the, all the pre-matches on Blood and Guts that were taped, or that were, um, the, yeah, there was basically a parts of it on tape and then people were just sitting there watching AEW matches on a screen for like an hour and a half before they got to the Blood and Guts match that was actually in the stadium. I'm sure people were not happy with that. And yet here we are doing the same thing, which is now we're going to show a video. It's like it's like the kids know when I don't have anything planned for the day when I say, here's a movie. And I have probably only once just thrown in a movie to say, here you go, kids. Everything I do in the classroom is purposeful and has standards behind it. But even then, like... We all know when it's the end of the year and you're phoning it in. We just pop in a movie for the kids to watch. So that basically, it's like, here, AEW crowd, well, we don't have anything else, so watch a movie for an hour on the screen, and then you can watch the end of the match. Um, 
let's put it this way, at least it wasn't as goofy as last year's was. Then again, when the baby faces were the Hardys and whatnot, uh, that couldn't have been any less goofy in execution. So uh, the Inner Circle got their comeuppance and defeated the Pinnacle in Stadium Stampede 2. Um, Jericho, after the match was over, a couple of days after the match was over, uh, came out and said, oh, yeah, we hired a couple of stunt coordinators. Every break-off was produced by someone. Everyone had their own cameras. If you're going to film it, just film it. Just say you're going to film it as a cinematic match. Don't tell us that it's all pre-existed and whatnot. Please don't insult us. I don't know. I'd be highly upset. But anyway, um, the it started off as the, the pinnacle rolling up in a big stretch limo on the field. Uh, MJF cutting a great promo again uh, on camera, into the camera um, about uh, you wanted this and uh, I'm going to prove you that I'm the best, that kind of thing. As... MJF comes out and starts challenging the inner circle. The inner circle comes repelling off the scoreboard. That's right. That's right, kids. They repelled off the scoreboard and they stood there and they all did their entrances in front of the scoreboard on the complete opposite end of the stadium. <laughs> so you can barely see it. And then as the uh, as, as they unharnessed themselves and slowly made their way to attack MJF, guess who comes rolling in the side? That's right. It's a swerve because the rest of FTR showed up in the black Ford pickup custom-made Blackboard pickup, and they all jumped out, and they jumped the inner circle. Okay. Uh, they broke, everybody broke off into their own thing. MJF sprayed Jericho with a uh, fire extinguisher. Um, they went into the stadium's office. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't want to get... O-H-I-O. Look at the last... Oh, if you're watching along, if you're able to watch the video of this, you know I'm pointing... The one O that's over my heart right now is Ohio State Buckeyes. My coach, my national championship winning coach, Urban Meyer, now has a job as the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. And let's not, by the way, I'm going to go off on a quick aside. I know because I'm already running late with the podcast. I love my Buckeyes and I love Urban Meyer. But being down there, being the, being the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars is going to be an absolute disaster. It never works. Nick Saban couldn't do it. Even though Nick Saban has experience in the NFL, and his dad was a coach in the NFL, Nick Saban couldn't do it. Steve Spurrier couldn't do it. A bunch of famous college football coaches tried, couldn't do it. And even though Urban Meyer has a more wide-open situation, and he's got Trevor Lawrence, and he's got some pretty decent tools to work with, they're, they're, they're going to hope to be five and... 13, what is it? No, 5, five and 14. Uh, they're going to hope to be like 5 and 14 or whatever, 17, 5 and 12, whatever it is. They're going to hope to win four games this year. Uh, and they'll do it just some novelty in spite themselves. And they're not that terrible of a team that, you know, we have talent like Trevor Lawrence and you have talent around them. And Urban Meyer is a great coach, but who knows if he's going to translate anything into the NFL. He may just throw his hands up and quit at the end of the season. But it's bad enough when you're the Jacksonville Jaguars head coach. But your owner is Tony Khan, whose dad is Shad Khan, who is a gajillionaire. And, you know, just like shiny new toys, it's it's like Tony Khan's got a big old, like, wrestling ring. And he's got all these figures, and he's going to use them. Ha ha, you didn't think that The Undertaker was ever going to fight Miro, huh? 
and he's got his toys and he's playing with them and they can all play in the same sandbox and it's like it's like when you're little and uh, you know uh, the Hulk for some reason is fighting Darkseid or um, it's Magneto versus the Flash it's like I'm going to take my Marvel and my DC and I'm going to let them fight and see what happens it's the same thing he's got all these toys he might as well use them so poor Charlie Strong by the way uh, shout out to Charlie Strong former uh, quarterback of the uh, Jacksonville uh, team. I'm sorry, huh, not Jacksonville. I was like thinking, I know he's from Jacksonville, but uh, the Florida State Seminoles quarterback uh, and uh, quarterback's coach now, probably, uh, I think he's offensive coordinator, something like that. Urban Meyer is at least smart enough to know that he had to hire a bunch of people with NFL experience. Anyway, I say that to say they, they randomly went into Urban Meyer's office. Totally believable because Urban Meyer does have a propensity of staying very late and arriving very early to analyze football. So it's not like it's not a dumb idea that they're there. But the fact that they're just randomly there and they go into Urban Meyer's office and then uh, Charlie Strong feeds Jericho a couple of footballs and he just he launches them right at MJF's protect, unprotected face and then throws uh, Jericho right out the back into the catering or whatever. I'm sure it's Urban Meyer's office so he can interact. He's got two doors, one that can go out to the corporate side and talk football with the operations and then he's also got the one where he can talk to the team and go out of practice i'm sure that's how it's set up that's why it was weird that mjf got launched out of the back and onto a table full of quote quote breakfast for the team the next morning um but by the way jericho also grabbed uh chromebook from or my actually Meyer gave it to him and they walloped mjf the chromebook by the way again as a fan of urban meyer and know how he operates this is the same man who accused spies from other sec schools of spying on practices a guy who was so tight-lipped during press conferences that uh, you couldn't even ask him what the team had for breakfast in the morning. A guy who's reserved and aloof, standoffish, did not want any negative reflections. All of a sudden, is breaking kayfabe? All of a sudden, he's letting these wrestlers come through? All of a sudden, he cusses? He never cussed. He said, holy S, he never cussed, ever. And now, that famous picture, too, and I wish I had it for you guys, but the famous picture of him Tony Khan, Jericho, and MJF laughing as they watched the playback, and he tweeted it out. Oh my gosh, this is the same. This is the same head coach who threw somebody out of practice because they were wearing a red shirt when he was the head coach of Florida, and they were wearing a red shirt which looked a lot like Alabama, and he didn't want the guy in there. Okay, well, anyway, sorry, I uh, I went too long on that, and so did this match. Wardlow and Hager went at, after it in the freezer. Uh, and I uh, don't think I'm going to be going down for the Jags-Browns game. Of course, that game might be in London anyway this year. I'm not going down for that game. But I do know that if I did go down for that game, I'm not eating anything in the kitchen. Uh, I watched the stadium stampede and the two hogs that were butchered. And by the way, Wardlow was going to stab Hager with an icicle. I'm going to talk slower. Wardlow was going to stab Hager with an icicle. And that's not even the dumbest thing that happened because the dumbest thing that happened was the blue spotlight on Sean Spears and also Sean Spears doing the whole, oh, I see that weapon. Oh, I see that weapon. I see the chair. And going with the chair. By the way, he had pliers. He had like a mallet. He had all this stuff that he could beat Sammy Guevara's brains in and he decides to use the chair. Now, I'm going to digress here and say, the only one who looked like the star coming out of this was Sammy Guevara, and I think that's where this is going. If you want to talk about Brian Cage break off of Team Taz, Sammy Guevara is going to be breaking off of the inner circle probably within the next year. But I think it's going to be a little – if they do play their cards right, it's going to be something where no one loses face, and they're going to be like, fly, little birdie, fly. And Sammy Guevara will be a guy along with Jungle Boy and um, 
uh, and Orange Cassidy that will be considered the face of AEW. So uh, a lot of stupid spots, a lot of dangerous spots, a lot of dangerous bumps on both Sammy Guevara's uh, and uh, Sean Spears' parts. On the outside, like once it got in the ring, Sammy Guevara just took over and it was awesome. Um, uh, at some point, um, Spears uh, hit Sammy with a ladder and then handcuffed him to a rack of chairs. I mean, once you have one motif, you just got to kill it to death, right? So uh, he handcuffed Sammy and uh, went to go help the pinnacle. Just hold that thought. If it couldn't get any dumber, and I said that the last time I said this, if it couldn't get any dumber, so proud and powerful, find FTR in Daly's Place Club, clubbing it up. Two old school guys who just rather sit and drink the night away are clubbing randomly. Uh, so they go in, and they're at the table, and they clear a bunch of jabronis out. And the DJ stops and looks up, and it's our buddy Conan, who I thought would never have anything to do with AEW. But hey, that's a nice little uh, that's a nice little Easter egg for us having Conan be the DJ of the club. That was fun. That uh, apparently uh, the, the uh, Keeping It One Hundred podcast isn't getting as much money as he'd like, or else he wouldn't have to take a DJ gig at night. Well, there he was, you know, spinning the tunes. He turned it into like more fight oriented music. They all shared a shot, and then they turned into a barroom brawl. Uh, but, uh, but but Cash was launching their beer bottles at Ortiz, just pop, pop, pop. And thank God they gimmicked all those beer bottles, too, because there were a lot of them that were flown around everywhere. Um, Wardlow got choked, slammed through a golf cart, or off a golf cart onto the wooden pallets. Uh, MJF worked over Jericho's arm. Jericho stapled a thank you card to MJF's forehead, which is another meme that's been going around the last week. Here's another dumb thing. When the heel has a very dangerous weapon and he starts monologuing, gives the baby face time enough to square off. So MJF was really going to crack it. And if you want to crack Chris Jericho with a hammer, he should have packed him with a hammer. But he said, I've waited a long time for this to see you hell. Huang, Jericho hits MJF with a trash can and separates it enough to shock you to no one, find Lucille or whatever they're calling uh, Gladys or whatever the, the, the he's calling this uh, baseball bat there. And then whacked uh, MJF with it a couple of times, putting uh, MJF through glass door where he uh, was not busted open at all with his staple, but he gigged the crap out of himself and still didn't even look that good either. He's just, I don't know, got to make it bigger, man. We're on a big stage. We're at Pro Wrestling, baby. If you're going to cut yourself, make it look big. Uh, the Inner City Motorcycle Club, which was a thing, uh, chased Spears down until uh, Spears got caught in the uh, outside the arena Um on his way back to the ring, and Sammy Guevara found himself extricated from the handcuffs, and he ran Sean Spears over with the golf cart. So there you go. There's a continuity of storytelling there. He needed some. Uh, Sammy came in. Uh, this was dumb because this looked pretty unprotected, and I don't understand. They just got to, again, with the motif, you got to beat it to death. Uh, Sammy was going to come off with a springboard, but uh, Sean Spears clocked him in the face with a chair. Uh, but Sammy kicked out. Um, got... got uh, Spears was setting Sammy up in the corner with the chair, but Sammy got him from behind and hit him with the GTH or whatever he's calling it. Um, then Sammy came off with a really nice 630 senton and got Sean Spears and a one for the team. So um, Sammy got the win. He, he got over because he was got the relatively clean pin on Sean Spears and he was also the one that was able to say I want it for the team so a lot of good ways to elevate Sammy Guevara 
in that respect. Uh, made Sammy look like a superstar. So that was good. Um, uh, sneak attacking Sean Spears or, or getting him all by, from behind. Uh, I don't want to nitpick because I don't want to say uh, it was like terrible in that regard. So all of you who think that I just crap on AEW, and yes, I know, I hate I can't say I hate AEW, but I have crossed AEW off of my list as something that I don't want to watch anymore or pay much attention to. I was intrigued by some of the matchups and gosh darn it. And what I saw, especially from, uh, you know, Urban Meyer making an appearance, I got sucked in. I was able to consume the video in the way I was able to consume it. And I was able to watch it. And you know what? Drum roll, please. I give Double or Nothing 2021 a C plus. There was a lot bad, but what was good far outweighed the bad, so it skewed the balance off. And yes, I'm admitting everyone who accuses me of being a WWE mark and an AEW hater, the reality was this was not as bad as it could have been. It was better in spots and the places I needed it to be good, like with the Sting match, um, like with... Um, you know, Britt Baker winning and the other matches and Jungle Boy being elevated and Orange Cassidy being elevated, you know, it still worked for me. So C plus effort for double or nothing. Congratulations. It didn't suck. All right. So what's the fallout from double or nothing? What happened? What is what is going to shake the landscape of uh, AEW? I don't know what but I do know who. And let me say that they did not waste any time um, when they came out with bombshells because, you know, of course, one thing they did was they um, went ahead and just uh, broke the world by announcing that Mark Henry was their big signing for AEW and that he said that he has a lot left in the tank and that he is ready to work with the talent to be a coach. Uh, but he is uh, still got a lot left to offer to uh, w or to uh, the world of wrestling. But the biggest break, and yeah, I'm sorry if the images are real messed up here, but the biggest news, the biggest break is, in fact, this man, Andrade El Idolo, is all elite. And yes, that's going to be his name. That's actual. I know there's a lot of fake, funny memes with uh, AEW people being all elite. I know Brian Danielson has one. Everybody has one, right? Well, Andrade El Idolo is now all elite. So he was the most recent signing by AEW. And he did, did have a no-compete clause. I don't know how he got out of this no-compete clause, but he is now uh, able to sign anywhere. And again, the, biggest, the, the whole reason why Vince McMahon makes independent contractors, which is crazy and should be challenged, but uh, the only reason why he uh, uh, is even with AW or that Vince McMahon has these clauses in their contracts with no compete is for this very reason that uh, guys will go immediately to the competition. So I don't know how he got out of his no compete or whatever. Uh, probably didn't want any problems with Charlotte and Rick 
And so he decided, uh, they decided to let him go with a no compete. And now he is in AEW as Andrade El Idolo, and he made an immediate impact. And I think the interesting thing to take away from this is he apparently negotiated most of his own deal, and it was actually very close. He was uh, very close to going to impact, uh, believe it or not. But what happened was along the way, um, he was getting down to dates and appearances and money. And I don't blame him at all for um, insisting on being in control about a lot of what his career is. Obviously, he was not happy with how he left the WWE. But um, he was able, he was going into T- Impact, as a matter of fact. And he was very close to going to Impact if it weren't for the fact that they wanted him to do more dates, but they were willing to give him complete creative control. Even uh, They were even uh, going to allow him to um, uh, have final say on who he wrestles and, and why and uh, and if he, you know, what finishes are and all the other things that go along with, um, uh, you know, how his career, how he feels like his career wants to go. Well, TNA or Impact wasn't going to uh, give him the dates for the money. They wanted him to work a lot more for the money that they were going to pay him. So instead, he goes over to AEW, and they kind of did a reverse, but they did compromise that he does have creative control over his character. He could go anytime he wants. He could do, of course, AEW has that open-door policy, right, that uh, basically uh, you could do whatever you want um, as long as you, um, uh, you know, as long as you make dates for us. So, you know, who knows? Good for him. I hope he's happy. He's going to be aligned with Vicky Guerrero for some reason. Um, I mean, he should just kind of stake out on his own, if we're being completely honest. He should definitely uh, just go out on his own and do his own thing. Um, I don't know if he needs – I guess that's the, that was the big knock. Part of the big knock was he wasn't getting over with crowds because uh, he was in a language barrier or whatever. I just think that he – I don't know. He, they could have pushed him a lot better. WWE, they could have done something with him, and they refused uh, for reasons or another. I mean, I think I did, he did end up being the U.S. champ at some point, but, like, they could have made him a complete... Like, if they would have gone in and he would have been, like, La Sombra-esque from the beginning, a bad guy from the beginning, like, complete selfish jerk, then maybe something would have happened, but who knows? Like, it just... I don't know. It just never materialized. And uh, Booker T even said he never... Oh, I'm sorry, no, I'm not Booker T. He didn't say that about him. Um, Booker T said that about Aleister Black, that uh, Aleister Black never quite grabbed the audience. And I feel like that criticism of Aleister Black for Booker T sums up my criticism of uh, Andrade for WWE. I don't think he ever fully captured the audience in the way that they were expecting him to, even though they want the new babyface Hispanic wrestlers uh, to be able to get into the Mexican market. They don't necessarily want their Mexican stars in WWE to be heels, but... Uh, it just happened that way. There you go. So, um, 
speaking of people moving and shaking and the WWE's uh, shakeup in the locker room, going to take a quick break, catch my breath, and get another sip of water. Again, I ran a little long, and I didn't want to go this far, but here we are, and I'm going to try to wrap this up. I'm going to uh, talk a little bit briefly about NXT and the people who are there deserve to be there. Plus, I'm going to uh, come up with another news article about where this new money that's been freed up by WWE might exactly be going. So thank you for tuning in. You are listening to and watching the Heel of Face podcast on Heel Turn Wrestling. I'll be back in a few. All right, it's me, it's me, the big old Stevie C. Thank you for joining me. Ah, Gotta unmute that. Sorry. It is me, it is me, the big old Stevie C. Thank you for tuning in to the Heel of Face podcast brought to you by Heel Turn Wrestling. If you haven't already, please go to HG Wrestling 316 on Facebook and you can check out all the cool podcasts, not just mine, but you can check out Billy Alexander, the franchise takes five and beyond the mic. You can check out Piers Austin and multi continental wrestling associations comings and goings and all the three podcasts that he does like, um, uh, killing the business with uh, Kingpin uh, angel and shooting the S uncensored with everybody on the Australian underground pro wrestling scene and all the other crazy things that he does. You could check out To the Turnbuckle with Logan Morris, uh, Travis Knapper, and Jason McCarthy. And I'm going to book myself on that show very soon so we can have a great debate on whether or not Kenny Omega should be known as the greatest professional wrestler of all time, if not the modern era. And uh, take notes because it's going to be a barn burner when I eventually get on there. So uh, we got all this great programming that you should be paying attention to. Plus, don't forget the uh, dank memes and the sick memes and the sickly dank memes and the dankly sick memes on heel turn wrestling that's hd wrestling 316 on facebook so when we broke i said that there were some interesting uh comings and goings as far as where's all this money gonna go where is all the uh this money that was freed up by getting rid of Braun Strowman, by getting rid of Ruby Riot, by letting all these talented people go, not just wrestlers, but also people in the front office and the digital uh, media side of WWE was let go and a bunch of creative people. Well, there is uh, some light at the end of the tunnel. I saw a random tweet from a woman um, in wrestling where she tweeted a picture of herself and tagged the WWE SmackDown. And she said something effective. You're looking at one of the four new women of color wrestlers on SmackDown. I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. So apparently four women have been hired to write for SmackDown. That ought to be interesting. I don't care what race, color, orientation, gender, whatever you are. If you are a wrestling fan and know what this thing is and you can write to keep it, because SmackDown is going super well right now. And if you could keep SmackDown going well and have the wrestling sensibility, I don't care who you are, just keep SmackDown good. Just keep wrestling good. Keep in mind that it is a wrestling program and it's not a necessarily a episodic sitcom or TV show and you should be fine. But congrats to the four women of color who are now writing for SmackDown. We should see some great things. But they didn't just free up to hire those four women. Oh, no, 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 no. Someone is back on the WWE's active roster site that was previously on their alumni site. I wonder who could it be. Who? 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 That guy right there. The arrow points at him. Look who is back. 
Look whose profile got moved back a month before SummerSlam, a month and a half before SummerSlam, during a cost-cutting measure by the company, right before a possible sale to NBC Universal slash Comcast. That's right. It's our buddy, Brock Lesnar. He's back, baby. And they did not waste time, by the way. I don't know if this is what kind of mind games they're playing in Stanford. Of course, probably WWE headquarters probably won't be in Stanford very much longer. But I don't know what kind of mind games they're playing in Stanford. But if they what they thought we would notice or they just wanted the buzz of this to be out there and for us to talk about it. But Brock Lesnar was, in fact, moved from the alumni section to the active roster session section. So no secret, no surprise, Brock Lesnar's back. And that's probably where a lot of that money is going because they can't justify paying Braun Strowman and Brock Lesnar at the same time. And if you're sick and tired of the part-timers now and you're already sick and tired of Brock Lesnar, well, guess what, kids? WWE has to make it look like a record profit. They need eyes on the product and they need all these things to go in place with the eventual sale of WWE. And Brock's a big name and he's had time to rest and play with the chickens and give birth to cows and see his son and daughter be good at athletics. He's got all the time in the world. So he might as well come back for final payoff. What is he? 45. He's, he's, he's two years younger than me now. Uh, how good is he going to be? Gosh. You know, eventually this was going to lead to him versus Bobby Lashley. By the way, Bobby Lashley's not a spring chicken either. I know black don't crack. It doesn't look like it, but Bobby's up there. He's almost 50. So in order to infuse talent and get buzz in your product, the WWE is going to go with two 40-year-olds fighting for a belt. But now, I will say this. This was a fantasy matchup that a lot of people wanted to see, both in MMA and in professional wrestling. So are we going to finally going to get our, uh, our run of Lesnar versus Lashley in the ring? Are we going to get our program with them that we've been waiting about 10 years for this to happen? Are we finally going to get it at the probably the twilight of both athletes' careers? Okay. I'm all for it. I'm okay with it. I'll go with it. If it gets me Bobby Lashley versus Brock Lesnar, and then again, look at the graphic. Guess where they're positioned? Isn't this interesting how they're also positioned right next to each other? So this is, by the way, courtesy of WWE.com. Uh, I wasn't able to uh, notate it, but I'm notating it now. And there you go. So are we going to get Brock Lesnar again? Yes, that's a foregone conclusion. Is the WWE going to try to drive their price as high as they can before the eventual sale to prove that they're a profitable business? Yes. Are they hopefully waiting for somebody around Jacksonville to finally give up and sell AEW to them? Uh, that might be a longer wait, but Vince McMahon has waited out uh, Ted Turner and he waited out Dixie Carter. So this is not an exception. And oh, by the way, I didn't mention it, but I should have mentioned the fact that MJF tried to punch a uh, cardboard cutout of Shad Khan and broke his hand or hurt his hand. And uh, just... I'll unpack that probably later. Maybe I'll have a secret uh, three count again in the middle of the week next week to unpack how vain that whole situation was. But I digress because I don't want to talk about uh, double or nothing anymore. I want to move on and I will go ahead and move on to uh, wrestlers that do belong and do deserve to be there. And that is NXT. And I just want to say, I'm trying to make my comments brief as possible because I don't want to go very much longer, but there's a reason why Adam Cole is one of the best wrestlers in the world. He is so good. He's the best at what he does. And there it's, he's got star quality 
people were saying that Adam Cole just needs a blessing from somebody from old school, like Shawn Michaels or whatever. Uh, and then I guess, I think it was busted radio, bust, busted open radio where they were talking about the possibility. Well, Shawn Michaels should, uh, come out and then Adam Cole should super kick Shawn Michaels and pass the torch or something like that. I don't know. Shawn Michaels would be up for that because, you know, he's taking NXT very seriously down there more seriously than he probably took his own wrestling career. Um, who knows? I mean, Shawn Michaels probably is producing Adam Cole personally. So who knows? The only thing I know is, is Adam Cole gets paid. He gets uh, deserves a hundred percent of anything that, uh, that, that he's making in more. He's making NXT so much better. The promo that he cut on Karrion Cross, And it was, it was, it was very close to making Cross look stupid. And, and very close to taking all of the starch off Karrion Cross. Uh, just Adam Cole saying, you get the cool smoke, you get the hot girl, what do I get? What makes me special? When they ring the bell. That gave me chills. That was probably one of Adam Cole's top promos I've ever heard him cut. Uh, the guy's magic on the mic. Uh, he's exactly what WWE needs. He's exactly what pro wrestling needs. He is a pro wrestler through and through. When you look at Adam Cole, in the beginning, about 10, 15 years ago, when I looked at Adam Cole, I was like, okay, uh, he's all right. Pretty guy. wants to be a wrestler. We'll see how this turns out. I'm so glad that I've totally done a 180 on my opinion of Adam Cole and the way he just basically just walked in. I mean, he walked into the triple threat match between Pete Dunne, Johnny Gargano, and Kyle O'Reilly. All three of those guys, by the way, who do have a beef with Adam Cole. But he walked right through. He dog walked. He just basically came out there. And the match, that match wasn't even that bad either. I mean, let's be honest. That, that triple threat match, I've seen worse. Um, they did a lot of the Pete Dunn got a lot of his spots in because he's the Uber heel, right? I mean, there's Pete Dunn, Johnny Gargano's the annoying heel, so he's not as intense as the. But then, and then you got Cool O'Reilly underneath here. I'm gonna keep calling him Cool O'Reilly till it sticks. And they were fighting each other, so Pete Dunn did the double hand stretch, and there was a lot of double moves that Pete was doing. It was okay. The match was actually not terrible, but you know, Adam Cole came in and just murdered everybody, and then uh, everybody left the ring, and then he called out Karrion Cross and cut that amazing promo on him. So that's that that happened. Um, other high uh that were good. Um, I guess now that uh, money, everybody's got a price, and now Cameron Grimes is with the Million Dollar Man. They attacked LA Knight, and and LA Knight was not happy with that. Um, Ember Moon got jumped from behind by uh, Dakota Kai, and Raquel Gonzalez caused the distraction. So that's going to be pretty hot. And it's Ember. It's going to be Ember Moon and Raquel Gonzalez for the women's. Uh, belt at the next in your house pay-per-view uh ember moon's not gonna win it back but we'll see um other stuff uh from uh nxt uh we still don't know who diamond mind is but uh diamond mind is, diamond mind is, is coming diamond mind is is opening up so we all i guess have that to look forward to and that's cool um uh, the uh, triple threat match, not triple threat, but the uh, the trios match of MSK and Bronson Reed uh, beating uh, uh, Legado de Fantasma for uh, just a match. Um, eh, it was fun. I mean, you can't go wrong with MSK. We love them. So that's cool. And we like the fact that Bronson Reed uh, has a belt. So uh, it was an entertaining match. It was a fun match. Um, I skipped over... Uh, Kushida versus Carmelo Hayes, who actually did a really good job of uh, you know holding his own against 
Kushida. And that's what we don't have enough of. We just don't have enough random guys, talent enhancers to the stars. But Carmelo Hayes is definitely somebody to watch for. He had a lot of uh, fun moves. Like uh, he had a, like a, a kick from outside um, on Kushida. So, I mean, good stuff. We knew Kushida was going to win, but it was, that was an entertaining match. And then um, the way versus uh, Stark and Ramir, uh, you know, the way wins because they're going over. Uh, but Stark and Ramir stars. And Stark, Ramir, and um, who is the, th- the third female? There's a third female there that's kind of going to be their little triumvirate of, of like friends because that's what the WWE does. They just pair people up. Uh, with each other to be friends. So uh, NXT was fine. It was okay. Uh, you know, it's just furthering things along until we get to In Your House. So there was no real um, issues with it that stood out for me. It was just there. So that was all of the wrestling that I kind of watched. I don't regret being late to the uptake on Double or Nothing. And I actually enjoyed it um, for what I paid for it. I enjoyed it. Uh, you can't see that wink on the uh, audio version of the podcast, obviously, but you can imagine me winking uh, into my camera about it. So uh, wrestling was fine this week. Uh, next week should be pretty good. It should be the uh, lead up for the In Your House pay-per-view. It should be um, a lot of fun. It should be something to look forward to. And uh, speaking of looking forward to, I got to leave you with this. I got to leave you with this just because um, it's just silly. And I'm just going to put it up there right here from Floyd Mayweather's Twitter page. If you didn't know, he's got a fight tonight, by the way. Floyd Mayweather is going to be fighting Logan Paul. That's right. Logan Paul. For giggles. For eh, no reason. Uh, And he's going to fight him tonight on Showtime Boxing and other pay-per-view, and it's supposed to be a charity event. But Floyd Mayweather says, Miami is about to be fire. If you're not in Hard Rock Stadium tonight to witness this epic Mayweather Promotions event, I don't know why his own thing didn't promote. I think he might have spelled it wrong, which is sad. Be sure to purchase your pay-per-view on Showtime Boxing, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah. That's happening. It's happening. So I have to ask obligatorily who you got Mayweather versus Paul, who you got. Um, This is going to be hilarious. I don't care either way. I just think it's funny. And I think that the worlds of boxing and mixed martial arts and pro wrestling are mushing together because you can't tell me that this is not a pro wrestling match. This is a pro wrestling match. It's a fight that is constructed that both parties know what they're doing. You have to win by knockout. There's a clear heel and a clear baby face. Uh, this is a matchup of an older guy versus a younger guy. I mean, the only thing they're not doing is a headlock. The only thing that Mayweather and Paul are not doing is collar and elbow tie-up, headlock, off the rope, duck down, shoulder block, hop up, uh, uh, leapfrog, uh, duck down, clothesline. I mean, the only thing they're not doing is... Lock up, headlock, arm drag, takedown. That's the, that's the only thing they're not doing. This is a pro wrestling match. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I just hope that whatever charity is being uh, paid for this, that they earn all the money. Uh, Chad uh, Ochocinco, Chad Johnson is uh, fighting tonight as well. 
So who knows? It should be fun. If you're going to waste the money on uh, this, then have fun with it. Let me know in the comment section of the Heal and Face podcast or just DM me uh, what you think about this. I'm not going to pay any more attention to it other than the media is. So I'm just going to do my thing. And I'm going to thank you guys for joining me on the Heal and Face podcast this week. Brought to you by Heel Turn Wrestling. Don't forget to notify yourself, subscribe yourself, click everything, watch the video, share it with your friends, do all the things you need to do. And you can also find me on all audio streaming podcast services. And you can also follow me on all my social medias. You can follow me on Twitter. You can follow me on Minds. You can follow me on Locals. Basically, everywhere you go, I'm on social media. And you can just type Heel and Face Podcast and just like the Jackson 5, I'll be there. Take care, everybody. Have a great week. And as always, I'm out. Peace. <laughs>